UK Motor Talk. Hi everyone, you join us for the hottest podcast yet, and when I say hottest, what I actually mean is we are sweating our nadges off because Andrew has made us turn all of our fans off your audio quality listening pleasure. So if we get progressively angry or just fall asleep during this podcast, we are sorry, but it is approximately, what, 33 degrees outside? It's uh, Yeah, it's about that. I mean, you uh, you drive home in the car with wonderful aircon going full bore and, uh, and you step outside. It, it reminds me of getting out of a plane on the runway being on holiday. So uh, even though we can't go on holiday, at least you can replicate that feeling of just getting out of a cold, uh, cold vehicle into a warm climate. What, and fighting your way into an EasyJet bus? The idea of an airport bus right now, presumably you have to be quite well spaced, but they they cram you in, don't they? And it's never the most pleasant. I think everyone smells a bit used, a bit like public transport, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but yeah, it, it does. It, I can't imagine being stuck on a bus right now. And it'd be definitely one of those days where they, they tell you not to put your arms in the air at Thorpe Park. Mm. You know what I mean? And they go, hmm. Because mm. I think, I mean, some of us at work, the people that were doing, you know, uh, real physical jobs as opposed to pushing paper around like you and I do. Although, to be fair, we do sometimes do real physical jobs. <laughs> but they had, um, some of them had tide marks. It was that that hot and sweaty today. Really has been warm. But thankfully you furnished us with ice creams, which is, which is, which was very pleasant. Why, why, why are you buttering me up? What do you want? <laughs> oh, I, I don't want anything. Oh. Apart from another ice cream. <laughs> yeah, just just another ice cream, really. I'm, I'm, uh, well, I'm, if, the, uh, if the weather's the same again tomorrow, then I think uh, we'll have to do ice creams again because uh, we're just not geared up for it in this country, though, are we? All of our houses are designed to be wonderfully energy efficient and uh, and retain heat, but uh, when there's plenty of ambient heat floating around, we uh, no, we don't do so well, especially upstairs. So so much yeah, we... so, I've uh, I've invested in uh, in some secondhand air conditioning for my upstairs. So it was uh, an ex rental jobby. Um, but it, uh, it cleaned up fairly well. I haven't had a chance to give it a full machine polish and, uh, and detail and a coat of car wax, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's certainly done the job. Nice so thing. it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's got the bedroom down to uh, quite a pleasant nineteen twenty degrees. So uh, that's Ooh, quite nice. That does sound pleasant. Mine is, mm. I think, about thirty six at the moment. But uh, I'm doing this just for you guys, all you people listening. This is the reason why I'm sat here, shut up in my bedroom uh, with no fan on. But speaking of heat, off air earlier on. Jim, you were talking to me about uh, track temperatures and you were saying about Silverstone, weren't you? Uh, yeah, well, I think I was looking at the weather forecast for Barcelona this weekend and uh, and it's actually going to be... Well, it currently is colder in Barcelona than it is here and the Grand Prix this weekend, the ambient and track temperatures should be lower than they were at Silverstone. So the uh, it's uh, it's definitely something of a heat wave here and the fact that we are warmer than Spain... I think tells you everything, but about ninety times as humid. I think, which is uh, which is probably the issue. But that uh, that leads us on quite nicely. I think that was a uh, quite a good Silverstone. Uh, well, no, we we had Silverstone ONE, so we had Silverstone One. Uh, so we've had Silverstone, I suppose. Silverstone Two. Uh, no, Andrew shaking his head there. That's right. You can edit that out. Uh, no, we had the seventieth uh, anniversary Grand Prix, and I think that that was uh, slightly more action packed throughout most of the race than the last one. I think the Silverstone Grand Prix was uh, fairly sedate for most of it until we got to the last five or ten laps and tyres started randomly exploding. But mm. it, was, it was quite fascinating. I've, I don't think I've ever seen a tyre peel itself apart quite as quickly at high speed 
to the stage where the, you could really see the bits of rubber flicking off them, especially on the rear of the Mercedes, as, uh, as we did at the weekend. It was quite extraordinary that you could actually see the, the, the wheel and the tyre uh, rotating independently, uh, completely disconnected. They just happened to be going around at more <laughs> or less the same speed, um, but not always in the same direction, which I found quite bizarre. But, you know, uh, it, 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 it really seems as though that did come down to heat uh, and Pirelli perhaps providing a set of tyres that were not necessarily appropriate for that temperature or for the pressures that they were running. But, I mean, just as an aside, what were the cockpit temperatures like, you know? Because those guys must have been triple-layer suits. It's not a day for a race suit, is it? Let's be honest. It's just not a day. It would be so poor right now. I mean, just for the sake of everyone listening right now, I'm about to get naked, which is really awkward because I'm on a Zoom call. But to be completely honest, I think this is the only way I'm going to survive this. The idea of wearing Nomex and everything else right now, just no. If you've ever had the misfortune of wearing a, a, um, a, a karting suit, one of the higher suits that they give you, you will know what I mean. No, when not it gets, nice. Oh my God, it's horrible. It's, it's, when it's your own, it's kind of the same, but without the stench, you just end up really, really sweaty. And then you have to try and peel yourself out of it afterwards. And if you're in a bit between being on track, you might want to peel it down and tie it around your waist or whatever. But it's like getting out of a wetsuit, isn't it? It is horrible. Yeah, not nice. I mean, even when I was uh, doing track stuff and people were loaning me helmets, I always used to have a Nomex balaclava. Not because I needed a Nomex balaclava, but it was a convenient insert with my smells into whatever sort of cesspit of a helmet I was putting my head. You don't want another man's sweaty helmet. That's for certain. But I think our, right, uh, our track day at uh, Brands Hatch was, was this sort of temperature, wasn't it? It was certainly ambient temperatures of, uh, of nudging 30 degrees, and that was, a, oh. that was definitely a hot and sweaty day, but at least we'd left the aircon in the track car. So a little bit weak and feeble, though it was, it, uh, it certainly helped take the edge off it, I think, didn't it? I'm regassing that. I'm just saying that now. That's going in the workshop, so. and that's getting regassed. But it's, a, um, <sighs> it's an odd one, Graham... Uh, you said they're about the uh, the heat and the Pirelli tyres and, and whatever else. I, I thought it was a little bit peculiar though, because we had it was wasn't the left front of the Mercedes uh, that was that was wearing out and, and blistering and, and being pushed to the limit this weekend, was it? It was it was actually I think the, no, the right front and the left rear. So they'd they'd obviously exactly done something so. very odd on setup to uh, to try and counter the issues they had last time round and, and maybe just gone a bit too far. I think they were running uh, a lot higher pressures at Pirelli's urging. They, they seem to want to set a minimum pressure. And certainly there have been suggestions that Red Bull should do well this coming weekend in Barcelona because even if it is quite warm, and, uh, yeah, I've seen the, the weather forecast as well, and it's a little bit cooler than here, but is expected to be still. And uh, the Red Bulls don't seem to like the wind. They certainly didn't like it... Um, like Clive Dunn, they don't like it up them. Um, and certainly they didn't like that in the first Grand Prix. They just just reacted badly to the wind. But certainly for the second one, they seem to be well sorted. So uh, I think it's going to be a, a good scrap again this weekend. It's certainly a track that everybody knows. Barcelona's a nice place, apart from all the tourists. But it's a nice circuit as well. It's a nice, uh, nice place what, to be. What, like journalists there on F1 car launches, perhaps? Yeah, yes. good-for-nothing journalists. <laughs> it was certainly uh, good to see 
somebody of other than a Mercedes driver stood on the top step, so it, uh, it it at least provides some glimmer of hope that it won't quite be a Mercedes whitewash. I think it's probably a bit of a false dawn to say Max is in the hunt for the championship, um, although he's actually second at the moment, isn't he? He's ahead of he Valtteri, but of course Valtteri lost 18 uh, at least a guaranteed 18 points due to his tyre issues. You know, if uh, what happened to Valtteri would have happened a couple of corners earlier, he'd have been able to pit in, and uh, and who knows what would have happened then. It would have changed everything. Yeah, at least Red Bull being keeps it alive. I don't see Max uh, taking a championship this season. I mean, I don't think anybody would doubt that he will eventually. But, uh, you know, my money's still on Lewis. But then I've been saying that as long as Lewis has been winning championships, so... I must have won some money somewhere. It's about time I collected my winnings, I suspect. It was good to see uh, the Hulk at least get a, a race under his belt, and I thought he equipped himself rather well until, um, funnily enough, the, the team appeared to favour the other driver over him, which which was a bit odd. I can't imagine what the driver's dad, who happens to own the team, was thinking when they made the call to uh, to pit Nico and put him at a bit of a disadvantage compared to Lance. But uh, I thought the Hulk equipped himself particularly well. And it was uh, weird news this week that Ross Braun had said if they hadn't signed Lewis, they'd have probably signed Nico Hulkenberg. So who knows what history would have brought if, uh, if the Hulk had have gone that way. Nico or Nico, certainly for world champion at Mercedes, but how many how many would the Hulk under have his belt? Possibly one or two at least, I suspect. Oh, I think that's uh, certainly the case. I'm very impressed with the fact that he, he dropped into that uh, car at such short notice. I mean, I think anybody that was watching the, the highlights on qualifying day will have seen him running through, having just been finally given approval to be in the paddock because he'd passed uh, the COVID-19 test. Was actually running through the entrance and into the paddock to get into a car that was all prepared for him. I mean, he was certainly dedicated to what he was going to do that weekend, and I think he did an excellent job. One of the things that I think that, that is worth commenting on that amused me as much as anything else was uh, Sebastian Vettel basically suggesting to the team on the radio, which is you know is public knowledge, uh, suggesting to the team that they cocked up. Well, they did. Their strategy was absolutely ridiculous. Indeed so. I'm not sure who's in charge of strategy at the moment, whether it's a deliberate ploy against Vettel to try and make the divorce easier. You know, the Red Bull years watching Vettel win week in, week out, week in. I mean, I think he still holds a record for the most number of races on the bounce. Mm. Was uh, was probably slightly less than thrilling. And he, he certainly happened to work well with that car and that generation and that driving style. But the the man is a four-time world champion. And you don't get that way by accident. Uh, he was up against Mark Webber, who is a very, very, very handy driver. Um, and actually, oh, I think in, in a, in a non-blown diffuser car... Uh, he'd have certainly run Vettel a lot closer uh, or beaten him on more occasions. Um, but mm. the, the man's won four world championships. You don't forget how to drive. So there's there's something up there. There's something they're not doing. Um, OK, he, I, I think it's clear he's lost a bit of love for Ferrari. But I, I think from his own shop window point of view, he's hardly going to be spinning. I know he wouldn't do it deliberately, but he's he'll certainly still be putting in the effort to maximise his results to say to the other teams, look, I'm here, I'm... I'm still worthy of a, of a seat. I'm a four-time world champion, so I need to drive somewhere. And it's the, the spins and the things like that, you know, is, is it an engine mode setting that's not right and it's unpredictable and it's just it's, it's poor from Ferrari. It really, really is. Yeah, I think the, there was a, a possibly an issue about the way the tyres had been prepared for him to go to the grid. It's been suggested that they're just certainly not putting as much care 
into his cars there, into Leclerc's car. And, you know, it's clear that, that, that Leclerc will be a world champion in the fullness of time. He has all the, all the ability necessary to do so, and he has the support of the team. And uh, four times world champion or not, Sebastian Vettel clearly doesn't. He wants out. I mean, I think it's quite possible that he won't even get to the end of the season because there's, it's, it's like a... Agree. It's like a, a disastrous marriage breakup, which won't necessarily wait for the divorce lawyers. It, it'll just fall to pieces, and that relationship is is certainly in the falling to pieces phase. Great pity, great pity. I think what I'd uh, I think what I'd quite like to see is Vettel signing for Aston Martin, uh, and then either Perez or Hulkenberg alongside him at Aston Martin. And then I think for uh, for Red Bull, whichever of Perez or Hulkenberg doesn't get the drive at Aston Martin, uh, I think they should slot them in at Red Bull. Because Albon, uh, wonderful talent though he is, I think he maybe needs a bit more time to develop and grow his confidence, I think. So actually having Albon and Gasly at Alpha Tauri next year, as I say, with Perez or Hulkenberg in at Red Bull... Um, Kvyat to Haas, and I think that would that would shuffle things up quite well, and uh, and pop unfortunately Grosjean and uh, and Magnussen out of drive, or not unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. Um, mm. I thought Magnussen was very very lucky to only get away with a five second penalty for swerving back onto the track in in such a manner on Latifi. I mean Latifi did yeah. so well to avoid that. That could have been an horrific accident. Yeah, I was reminded of the, it just flashed through my mind seeing that, the uh, footage of the accident that cost Billy Munger his legs. And it was mm. very, very frighteningly similar to the footage that I, that I saw from that. So, uh, you know, that was, that was uh, a horrible accident uh, that may or may not have happened. Fortunately, it didn't. But that, I think, said more about uh, Latifi's ability to avoid it uh, than Magnuson's. Uh, inability to um, put himself in the right place at the right time, and and I think Grosjean, I think he's had his time in F1. I think it's rather time for him to uh, to move out. Maybe the the Hulk may be in his place, but I I think Grosjean uh, exhibited some pretty unsportsmanlike behaviour over the last um, uh, two Silverstone Grand Prix. But considering he was current chairman of the uh, Grand Prix Drivers Association, I think he rather. Uh, let himself and the rest of them down. Quite agree. I think Magnuson certainly had his um, had his start. So some of Magnuson's moves are just so dangerous. They're they're ridiculous. It's it's not even a robust defence of a place or things like it's deliberate swerving blocking. The the man is is an absolute menace. Um, he's he's certainly got no place on on the F one grid for my mind. Roman. I, Slightly, I think it's slightly less malicious. I think it's maybe out of uh, a bit of desperation or, again, maybe falling out of love for the sport. I think the lockdown period has given a lot of the drivers a different perspective on things. Vettel certainly spoken about, um, enjoying spending time with his family and being in private and away from the spotlight. Um, I think the same with Roman. I think he's probably thinking, do, do I need to do this anymore? You know, I haven't, I haven't won or stood on a podium for years and years and years uh, and there's, there's no chance of that realistically, without uh, a peculiar race happening uh, any time in the distant future. Do I feel comfortable about keep taking the money? 
But I, think, I suspect, I wonder if they need any more. They've probably got enough tucked aside never to have to worry about working again. So I think so. But both of them are basically grid fillers now. And there's so many young guys coming through who really need good good placings that um, it, I don't think either of them deserve their seats. Just before we end, I think somebody did describe uh, Formula One as the 20 best drivers on the planet and Roman Grosjean. And, uh, but actually, if you look at the standings uh, this week, because Hulkenberg has slotted in and scored a few points, it is now the out of the grid of 20 drivers. Uh, Romain Grosjean is sat 21st in the standings. So, um... Yeah, that says a lot. You've been following uh, Touring Cars, which is uh, very much a contact brand of motorsport. Yeah, so the BTCC, Tin Tops, back very much in, in full swing now again. It's perhaps not some massive surprises. Turkington back on form. Um, he seems to be doing very well with the uh, the BMW beneath him. It seems to be all coming together for him. And, and it, I think he, he produced a, a pretty decent drive. Oliphant, of course, also uh, his, in the BMW first race win. But uh, it didn't go quite so well for everyone out there, did it? No, I think the uh, the Hondas certainly seemed to be suffering a bit in the uh, in the heat of it all and in the heat of battle, didn't they? But there were, there were some very smoky... Hondas parked up at the side of the track at various points over uh, over the weekend at Brands Hatch, weren't there? Certainly barbecue weather in, uh, in more ways <laughs> than one. Cooling's a major problem, I think, for the touring car boys when it comes down to this sort of weather. You know, the, the, you can't, you just can't cool a tin top in the same way as you can an F1 car or or any Formula car and any open wheeler vehicle. It, it's just very difficult. I suppose in the old Volvo days when they were running the um, the T5 estates, they could always leave the tailgate open, but then the dog would have escaped. So. <laughs> if, you took, if you took the struts out and propped it up, that would be a hell of a rear wing for downfalls, wouldn't it? Yes, but, uh, of course, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned cockpit temperatures for the F1 drivers. That's, that's in an open cockpit. And I think a lot of them actually have a, a slot at, at the front of the nose cone to allow some air into the cockpit as well. Um, mm. Whereas, of course, touring cars, there's, uh, there's nothing like that. You know, if... Uh, if there was a bit more weight allowance, if they were all allowed an extra 20 kilos for air conditioning and forced air induction systems for the helmets and cooled seats and cooled suits and bits and pieces like that. But weights at a premium, as with uh, with any brand of motorsport, so they're, they're pretty much sat in there. I think I think they've got a blower, um, but that's about it. But obviously that doesn't. That doesn't really cut it when you're putting in quite some physical effort and, and over such a packed schedule as well, three races over one day, um, just no you know, no real time to properly cool down. I think loads of the drivers were in uh, paddling pools and ice baths and ice bins and ice buckets out the back and uh, just, just trying to keep the temperatures down. Mm, I, I saw a picture from Smiley where he was sat outside the back of the swimming pool and not, not quite was expecting to have to do just to cool himself down again, but... It must be so hot. I can't work out whether he was enjoying that or not. I don't think he was at that precise minute. I think after he'd been in there for a couple of minutes, it probably did him some good. But just speaking of Smiley, he uh, seems to be settling into his new team quite well, and they seem to have got on top of the car fairly quickly as well. I mean, the qualifying, I think he qualified, what, down in 13th, 14th, 15th, so not not quite where he'd been up at Donington. Um, but the first couple of races seemed seemed to stay about where he was, give or take a place or two. But race three, he was uh, he was absolutely flying, wasn't he? He he just took off like mm. a rocket and was seemed to be making up, you know, a place per lap, a place every other lap, and and flying along well until the end, unfortunately. But the uh, the pace is certainly there, so it'll be interesting to see 
how uh, how that car develops as the season goes on. In theory, it can only get better, of course. I'm excited to see where he goes with that because he's he's certainly, uh, as you say, he's, he's he's really pushing, pushing and pushing on with that thing. Perhaps pushing on a bit too hard by race three. And to be honest, I thought the the focus is the the Mark Four Focus ST. Um, the latest of the motorbase car did pretty well as well, really. Just sort of see them out there and get going. I mean, not in race one, perhaps, but race two, you're looking at Butcher and Jackson in fourth and fifth. I, th- I thought they, they performed relatively well overall. Again, some new cars out there. Uh, but definitely, it's, the BMW are, are are really dominating again. I mean, obviously, you've got Camish out there as an exception, but I thought, uh, I thought yeah, the, the BMWs looked in fine form. But it's, uh, it's good as well to see, uh, as you said, some of the older cars, the, uh, the Focus that's a couple, of, uh, a couple of generations ago in terms of shape still performing quite well. I, mean, I think, do, do they call it an RS, do they? Even though it's front-wheel drive. Yeah, uh, always a bit odd that. And they put the RS front on it, didn't they? But it, yeah, front-wheel drive, 2 litres of a 2.3. So it, it's kind of an RS in look, but in reality it's almost like a, a, down, a downgrade or a detuned. I think it would have been better off having that as an ST. It's very odd to the brand. I mean, the the touring cars has always been win on uh, win on a Sunday, sell on a Monday. So it's a bit odd when you, if you try and walk into a dealership and say you can have a Focus RS, and then you end up with something completely different with a a different drivetrain, different you know a different end of the car being driven. It's a completely different proposition, isn't it? But uh, so we get obviously seeing people get on top of new cars, but it's still quite refreshing in a way to see some older generation of cars. I'm going to say older cars, the although the shell might be a couple of years old, will have been uh, rebuilt or fettled or checked and maintained as they go along, but it'll have all new parts on it and those parts will be developed as they go along. But it is it is good to see the older cars still getting a look in. It's, uh, it makes quite a nice change. Shows you don't don't need to have quite the latest and greatest. I mean, it's still a, a ruinously expensive sport if you want to try and, uh, and take part. But nice to see that at least the older older cars can still mix it with the newer ones. And now a short roundup of Formula E by Jib. Uh, I, 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 well done. I I don't care. I really don't. Um, fair play to the man. I think he's had some ups and downs, and uh, some people have written him off. So, uh, out of, out of twatting about in cars that sound rubbish and crash every two minutes, he's proved to be the best at crashing the least. So, well done to uh, Felix the house cat. No, <laughs> what's his name? Costa Coffee. Antonio Felix de Costa. So, well done. Golf clap. Golf clap. Moving swiftly on, so as we say, the, the touring cars exist to win on Sunday, sell on Monday, and uh, Gates has taken that truly to heart by buying a vehicle from a manufacturer that's not represented really in motorsport a lot at all, certainly not in the touring cars, and is about as far removed from uh, from motorsport derived as you can get. So, Gates, what have what have you attempted to buy over the last week? Well, no, well, it's as uh, as they say in Fast and the Furious, uh. it's his car. Well, no, it's not. I haven't taken delivery yet. So, uh, go. It's oh wow yeah. I mean, if you remember last time we spoke, I was trying to figure out what on earth I was going to do in terms of finding a new car, and it was going to be an SUV, which is what Mrs G wanted. So we looked around at a number of different things. We looked at the Skoda Karok, which we quite liked, or Karok, or however you want to say it, and ultimately decided that um, we would have a look at a Sa Ateca, which is basically the same car. Where did the Aston DBX feature on the on the shortlist? Because that's quite a nice looking bit of kit. If if it, I think if you have to have an SUV, it's it's close between that and a Uranus, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, to to be honest, I think 
Lamborghini is probably a bit too a bit too showy for me. And I think on the index, um, Aston's do pretty well because you know if you turn up in someone a Lamborghini, I love them, you love them, we love them because we're petrolheads. And probably if you're listening to this now, you love it too. And if you think someone turns up in a a bright orange Lambo, you're going to go fantastic. You're obviously a petrolhead. You love that car. Nice. If you turn up anywhere else in a loud, shouty car, you know, you, you, it's going to be fine if you're turning up at a racetrack, or it's going to be fine if you're turning up... Maybe you want to show off in Monaco or something great. But if you pull into Glyndebourne in one, they're going to go, oh, no. Whereas you can turn up in an Aston anywhere. I've seen two Lamborghinis in the last few days. As, as it happens, I saw coming towards me yesterday a Diablo Periscopo, which is... I don't think I've ever seen one of those. That's the one with the funny device on the roof, which provides some ventilation and actually means that you can see through the rear window. Well, uh, above the rear window, more accurately. But I was also saying uh, off air that um, I was overtaken last week in a quite small village with a 40 limit by a Lamborghini SUV, which is something I've never seen one. Yes, I've, I've seen many. I. I didn't. I didn't think there was much in the way of an excuse for doing seventy and a forty limit, which was the rapidity with which he overtook me. But there you go. I can't countenance that. Mm, that does have perhaps one of the most fantastic interiors in a modern car, though the inside of the Urus. It has a little flip over cover, flip off cover, when then you press the start button underneath. And just for that, if you had the money, you would buy that car because it's like a jet fighter, regardless of what people think of you. Um, I think it's an absolutely superb car. I mean, we know someone that's got one who is one of the world's nicest men as well. He's a really lovely chap. And I've had a bit of a, a look and, a, and a, a play around with the car. And yeah, absolutely superb. Actually, I think there's a, I'm quite surprised. I think there's an opening here from a, a health and safety perspective. It's maybe not a bad idea for the uh, push button start in all modern cars to be covered with an aircraft style flip up cover. I think, as uh, as you say, that's immensely cool, and um, we we could have a, we could push that through on health and safety grounds, and that would actually be a good thing, I think. That and missiles, it's you need to have like a little well, flip-up yes, cover so you can launch the missile. It's that kind of thing, and absolutely, a Lamborghini should have missiles because it's the kind of car that suits it, because they are just a bit bonkers. So anyway, a uh, a slight digression. So uh, you you settled on a seat then. Yes, yeah, so from Italian to Spanish. So the Seat Ateca is basically exactly the same car as a Carroc underneath. It's a lot nicer on the outside in terms of how it looks, in my opinion, but not quite so nice uh, inside as the Skoda, and it's basically the same as a Tiguan. So it's all, they're all basically the same car. Anywho, we were searching around, and I found one which is two and a half years old. It's done 5,000 miles, and it was in really good nick. So Amy and I decided to go and, and take it for a drive. This is Mrs. G. Really liked the car, negotiated a deal, and we decided at this point, having taken all of your advice, and thank you if you wrote in to us about this, as to whether we should look at a PCP or what we should do, and we decided that rather than going for a brand new car, this car that's only got 5,000 miles on it uh, and saves us a lot of cash, we could afford to, to buy outright with a standard loan uh, and, and clear it in a few years, which then leaves money for an Aston Martin. Uh, oh, maybe. Um, so that this is this is the idea. So the car will be paid off. That would be the, the family car, and then we move on to something else that's a bit more exciting. So with that in mind, it kind of makes sense. I can I can see myself driving uh, this SUV in the short term for the long term gain of an Aston Martin. Anyway, back to the story. So I bought the car. 
which is great. Managed to negotiate a deal. Got your normal bits and pieces thrown in. So it's got a protection pack, mud flaps, rubber mats and a boot line. All those kind of things that you need when you have a family because stuff gets everywhere and everything is constantly dirty. Or at least it gets dirty very easily. And we, I would say we shook on the deal. We didn't shake on the deal at all. What really happened was we boiled to death in the showroom, stared at each other and went, yes, that's great. Let's get this sorted. It was five o'clock and everyone wants to go home. So we did that. We did the deal. We said, great, we'll pick it up on, on Thursday. So I didn't really hear very much. Um, it got into the workshop. And on Thursday, I got a call saying, ah, yes. Um, hello, Mr. Gates. Yeah, I'm calling from name, insert name of dealership here. We've got a slight problem with your new car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What problem have we got with a new car? Um, <laughs> to which you should have said, it's not mine. I haven't taken delivery yet. <laughs> so the slight problem is that a fox has managed to eat its way through all the wiring that goes to the front brake assist. Um, so as a result, the car won't stop itself if you have an accident. It just will plough through whatever walks out in front of you. This is a problem, <laughs> they said, uh, and they can't let me have the car, which... OK, I kind of get. They said, but there's a bigger problem. Unfortunately, the parts are back ordered from Sayat and we have no ETAs when they'll get here. This was a slightly bigger problem because I'd sold the Audi the day before and we were suddenly carless or at least without a car that had a way of carrying around our small child, which if you're a parent, you understand is one of those things you kind of need because it's kind of awkward to put them in the boot or. I don't know, on the roof rack or something. And if you're in the motor trade, you will understand that customers with kids in their car are an endless source of irritation. Absolutely. You, you were that customer. The worst. You? you were the I customer was. with kids in the car. I was hashtag kids in car. Yeah, I absolutely was. I was that irritating customer. So I thought, OK, uh, I'm sure they'd better help me out. I said, well, can, can you lend me a car? Because I'm a bit stuck. Absolutely not. Their chief operating officer has categorically said we cannot lend out cars due to COVID. OK, uh, and we've defleeted a load of the cars. Well, it's OK. I mean, we work in the trade. We understand how this works, but most people just sanitise them afterwards. But fine, you don't want to give me a car. Anything else you can do for me? No, sorry. Have you got anything I said as you know, a, a, a cheap trade in that you can sell me and buy back so that the liability isn't there for you? No, 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 we haven't got anything. We can't lend you a car, can't do anything. So, unfortunately, spent the, the whole afternoon searching around all the places that sell car seats, like Halfords, who didn't really have anything in stock, and eventually Argos to find a car seat, bought a car seat um, that works non-Isofix, and then bought a Ford Focus, which thankfully we had traded in at work, so I could have something to put the car seat in, because it's just easier to have five <laughs> doors and a boot and all the rest of it, and taxed it and insured it. So as you can probably imagine, by this point, you know, I'm, I'm a fair few quid in the hole. So I said uh, three times by this point, I'd asked, can I have a car? And they said no. So I sent an email saying, look, I've had to do this. It's a bit irritating. I understand the fox isn't your fault. Say it's back order. You know, it, it's one of those things. And you couldn't lend me a car. Would you at least pay for the car seat? I'll get you a VAT invoice, whatever you want. And then this morning I had an email on behalf of the chief operating officer, not from him, I'll just point this out, um, saying that I can now have a car, but unfortunately I will have to insure it myself because they have their own insurance as black boxes and bits and pieces, and I now can't get up to the dealership to get it, and so I assume they probably thought I would say no anyway, but they wouldn't look to cover the cost of the seat. Anyway, so I'm still waiting for my car, the long story short. I don't know how long it's going to be, and my new car is actually a 54-plate Ford Focus with 105,000 miles on the clock. So there you go. There, That is my, my new pride and joy and my car-buying story. But wait, 
there's more. I love the fact that this sounds very much like the Volvo. You know, you phoned up and got a quote for a skip, and that seemed a bit too expensive, so you went out and bought a you Volvo bought a estate. Volvo. And, yeah. uh, well, c- can you lend me a car? No, so you went out and just bought another car. Or you were short a car seat, so you went out and bought a car to put a car. You had a spare car seat, so you went out and bought a car to fit the car seat in. This is, uh, this yes. is good work. Yeah, this is good. Well, the thing is, Bangonomics, if you buy something that's the right sort of money, you can usually sell it on and either make a little bit of money or sell it for what you paid for it, cover your costs. Quite right. So it's effectively a free hire car in my mind. But the Audi went on uh, on Wednesday, as I said to you, it went to a popular car buying service that doesn't sound anything like knee buyer car. Uh, that, OK, or anything like that. So I went and spoke to a chap called Philip. Um, Schofield (laughs) (laughs) and he gave me what was a reasonable amount of money for my car uh, until I got an email yesterday saying terribly sorry we've lost your logbook so we can't pay you which seems absolutely bizarre because they'd already given me a receipt and transferred the car into their own name so I'm not quite sure what's going on there I'd written a relatively snotty email back to their payments department who said I'm terribly sorry Mr Gates have some money and have paid it it'll be in your account by 8 o'clock so goodness knows there you go. My, my, I, I don't understand why. Why me? <laughs> I understand what it's like to be in the trade. I understand the sort of mechanics of it. And I understand that things go wrong sometimes. And we all understand it's what you do to fix a problem when something goes wrong that makes a difference. That's, that's, that's what customer service is. You, you, yes. you take on board the problem and you fix it. Yeah. And these are one of the niceties of buying a car from a dealership rather than buying... A very uh, you know a, a similar kind of car from somewhere privately. You get a problem like a fox has eaten the wiring. Um, you get a problem where your new car's been delayed or something, and you get the backup. You get the assistance. You probably get a replacement vehicle, and certainly it's the kind of thing that that we would do wherever we can. We would help people out like this. And you don't obviously get that uh, when you buy something privately. But it just hasn't quite worked out in this case. So there you go. It's a bit of a long-winded story, but hopefully you found it amusing nevertheless. Man who does automotive journalism and works in the automotive industry fails at being able to buy a new car, ends up with a banger instead. I love the story about the fox having eaten the wiring. That's one of the best stories I've heard in God knows how long. That's a gem. Well, it does point out the uh, the issue with modern cars that they can't sell you a car because it won't break for itself in the event of an accident. Uh, of course, going back a few years, that that wouldn't be an issue at all. That loom wouldn't have even been there to eat. But it's a it's a very odd one. They're not they're not allowed, or they won't release it to you on the proviso of they'll fix it later. I suppose if if the safety system's there, it should work because you might need to rely on it. But at the end of the day, the uh, the right foot. And the uh, the middle pedal is what controls when the car stops, not a computer. So. Well, it was, it was one of these things, yeah, where you, I had to ask the question, being say, having had experienced this in the past and knowing what we do to sort it out. And actually, rodent damage to wiring isn't that unusual. We used to fit something called um, rat tape. It was like a chili-infused tape to lambda sensors on vans because when they were parked Tasty. in rural areas... Yeah, I tried it. It's horrible. Um, oh. Just, you got to try it. Uh just to try and stop them from eating the wiring uh, because the sort of hemp stuff they make it out of it seems to be attractive to them for some reason who knows so it's not it's not impossible and I've seen the pictures and to be honest the sales guy that I've been dealing with genuine guy nice guy he's been as helpful as he can be but I suspect his hands are probably tied and unfortunately that does happen in some companies but there you go 
Still, could be worse. Could be a Cougar plug-in hybrid, which uh, if you dare to plug it in and charge it, will uh, will apparently catch fire. So uh, news reports this week are pointing out. Yes, and that's quite quite dramatic in terms of a uh, a fire in 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 a, in a fev or in, in an all electric vehicle. I've seen some all electric, I say, spontaneous combustion. Presumably, something caused it overheats, whatever. So moving on from that, obviously they said you couldn't uh, couldn't pick your car up because a uh, a bit of safety and and. Well, it's it's one of those bits of uh, of kit that you hope you'll never need it, a bit like insurance, but just occasionally it might dig you out of trouble. So maybe quite useful tech. W- one bit of tech I have found wonderfully useful over the last couple of days, particularly in the heat, has been uh, the ability to turn on the air conditioning on my car wherever I am. So we were wandering around town on Sunday, and uh, I knew the car was plugged in and charging up. Wandering back, and it was it was about a hundred and eventy million degrees. So. Uh, 20, 25 minutes before we got back to the car, I opened the app, turned the air conditioning on. Uh, so when we got in the car, when you opened the door, it was like opening the door to a fridge. It was wonderful. I'm of jealous. You're not, you're not sat in the seat, so the blowers have cooled the seats down really nicely, so you're getting onto freezing cold leather. It, it was just wonderful. Nobody wanted to get out of the car at the end of the journey. So I adore that as a bit of technology. It's one of the most useful features on my car, and, and it's just superb. But there's there's got to be other things that manufacturers put on that somebody's had what they thought was a good idea and they've put it onto a car so have we got any ideas that a bit of kit that you've looked at and thought oh yeah and then never used it again what's what's the most pointless thing you've seen on a car i see i'm i just want to add to this that i'm most jealous of your your remote uh, your remote start or remote cooling technology because i think that is quite brilliant and you will never um, and experience actually, it again because you borrowed my car once and brought it back smashed to pieces, didn't you? I didn't smash it to pieces. I borrowed it because we needed... It was a crack a, a, the entire length of the windscreen when you brought it back. I don't know what was, you hit with it. Well, no, it was worse than that because the reason why the windscreen cracked was because I remote started it on the driveway because <laughs> it was frozen over to let it heat up. And the heater from on the bottom of the windscreen just smashed the bottom of the windscreen. But that's so, never happened to me before. I don't know how. What did you hit beforehand to make the chip worse? Unbelievable. <laughs> Nothing. But you'd be surprised to hear that my my uh, two thousand and four Focus does have none of these features, uh, and I'm glad if it just starts, let alone remote starts. I think as close as it's going to get to remote starting is if someone nicks it. <laughs> and that's probably as close as I'm going to get. But this climate uh, idea is something that I've seen on the Toyota uh, Prius, which actually is a car that I particularly despise um, just because it's one of the most lacklustre, unrewarding cars I've ever driven. Admittedly, this was an older one. This was probably about 2008. And I had it for a couple of days, and those were possibly two of the worst days of my life. But one thing I do quite like about the new one is that you can have a roof with a solar panel built in. And what it does is it constantly runs the climate or it switches it on and off just so that whenever you get back into your car, it's the right temperature. That is a brilliant idea. Why do more manufacturers not do this? The roof is huge. Why don't we just put more solar panels on on roofs so we can do things like that? Because that is brilliant. That is a very clever piece of tech. And remote start in the winter or in the summer, assuming you don't smash someone's windscreen to pieces by uh, remote heating the car. Actually, I think it's, it's a fantastic piece of technology. There are a number of uh, irritating bits. Well, I find them irritating anyway, but then maybe it's just my uh, lack of patience. Andrew will uh, bear me out on this, that very often 
when we're out there driving cars and just sort of jumping in and out of different cars. And I will spend a little time, usually in a lay-by, turning off all the stuff that I really, really don't want. Like if I'm on a country road, I don't want to be told that I'm straddling the white line. If there is a white line, uh, I know that full well. It's a very, very wide vehicle on a very narrow road. I don't need the lane sensor on country roads. It's just a pain in the proverbial. And there are there are other similar features on most middle and upper range, premium range cars now, which are, generally speaking, unless you're only using them on motorways, they're just useless, just pointless. I have to admit, I've never had that problem when straddling something in a lay-by. But <laughs> something that, uh, that really I do find is a, a massive irritation is when you get in the car and it goes, ding, 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 let you know the door's open. Then you, you put the key ignition, it goes dong, 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 to let you know the key's ignition, or that you've pressed the start button, or that the door's open you just got into. And then it comes up on the dashboard to tell you each one of the things. It's like, I know I've just turned it on. I know that I haven't got my seatbelt on yet because I've literally just got into the car and I'm starting to let a bit of oil get around the engine or whatever it might be. Just the constant warning bongs. and Stop it! What is the need? At least they're for uh, for accurate things. That's a bit like the uh, the old shape Ford KA Fiat five hundred thing, whatever it was, which uh, which was only available in a three door. And when you got in and turned the ignition on, it told you that the right front door was open, as opposed to the right <laughs> rear door that doesn't exist. And again, actually, uh, the KA again, I think needs to feature in this list as uh, our current fleet of courtesy KAs do feature traction control. Which with a rampaging, <laughs> uh, what's the lowest engine power output you can get? One of is it seventy five PS you can get, and that uh, mm. that features traction control. I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's like a an achievement. You know, if if you ever do get the light to light up, then uh, then you know you've done spectacularly well. Mm, well, I think I have to agree with you there. Although nothing is as bad as the old fashioned traction control you used to get, where what would happen is you drive out onto a roundabout and it would just limit all the power you had. So the car that you put your foot down to avoid hitting, fully accepting you might have a bit of wheel spin, you would just come to almost a complete stop in front of. Yes, not one of the best safety features. Uh, what else? Uh, what else have we got? I've noticed quite a lot of uh, driving more and more automatics these days. As more and more cars just seem to come in automatics, and certainly anything electrified is generally an automatic. Uh, again, I've noticed a lot of them seem to have hill launch assist, which is a bit peculiar, because an automatic by its very nature helps you up hills by not having a clutch pedal to worry about. So it seems odd they include that technology with an automatic gearbox. Well, you say that. Is, is it easier to have the tech on all of them, manual or auto, and, and leave it there? I'm not sure. I, I think that that's actually quite a useful bit of tech and I had a guy come in some years ago on an automatic well not necessarily an automatic on a manual or something I had a guy come in some years ago who was adamant he wanted hill start assist fitted to his son's KA because I say KA it's a car isn't it let's be honest he wanted uh, he wanted hill start assist fitted to his son's car um, because the car had learned to drive and had it and how could he possibly drive a car without it so well, cars, cars just didn't have that. It's something that's new that's come along. It's quite useful. And actually, it's something that Mrs. 